Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, one of the biggest issues of our time, certainly one that we have discussed on this program a lot, is cancel culture. That's people basically being cancelled for something they might have written or said. Uh, but is it possible to come back from cancel culture? Well, my guest today, Nick Buckley, uh, might be giving us some encouraging news on that front. Uh, Nick, thank you very, very much for joining us. You're welcome. Um, I should explain to people, obviously, they would know your case from a few months ago now. Um, you run a charity, don't you, called the Mancunian Way. Yes. Um, I wonder if you could sort of explain to us exactly what happened, uh, which brought about this particular case that was in the papers with you. Sure. So we had the death of George Floyd in yeah. America, yeah. and then we had some protests in the UK with Black Lives Matter. It was one of the first times I'd heard of the group Black Lives Matter. So um, like a normal person, I thought I need to Google them and see what's, what's going on. So I Googled uh, Black Lives Matter, found the website, went on the website and had a bit of a read and was completely shocked about what I was reading. Yeah. Defund the police, um, interrupt the nuclear family, overthrow capitalism. And I'm reading it and thinking, this looks like some sort of Marxist agenda to me. This isn't an anti-racist organisation. This is a political um, organisation. And I spoke to some friends and none of them knew anything about it and just knew it was an anti-racist um, protest in the city centre and in London. And I thought, I need to write something about this. And I wrote previous blogs on different matters, such as rough sleeping and how we're not tackling that. Mm. Um, and I write half a dozen blogs on things that I think people need to know about. Mm. That are difficult subjects, because if it wasn't a difficult subject, we'd, we'd have solved them by now. So I wrote a 700 word blog on Black Lives Matter based on their website. Um, I talked about some of their ideology and what, what was stated on their website. So I didn't make any of this up. It's on the GoFunders page, isn't it? The, the, the funding Some page. of it's on that. And yes, if you go to the .com website, yes. then it's on there. I mean, these people are not scared of talking about what they believe in. So I give them some credit. Mm. You know, they're not hiding no, no. their ideology. They're telling us, we just don't want to listen. So I wrote a blog explaining what they should be doing if they really cared about Black Lives and they thought Black Lives Matter, which we all do. Mm. But this wasn't the way to go about it. I've spent two decades working on the streets in Greater Manchester with um, disenfranchised kids, black, white, Asian, it doesn't matter. And I could see these policies damaging especially black youths in, in Greater Manchester. Tell them that they're victims. Tell them that this country is racist and is against them. And you're lucky to get to school them back without the police killing you. You're very lucky if that happens to you. And I'm reading this going, this ideology is going to ruin the last 20 years of my life, of the work me and other agencies and other organisations and churches have tried to do in this country, which has its problems and can be improved. And we all should be working to improve our country, but we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be making up problems that don't exist. So I wrote a fairly, I thought, unbiased blog. I knew some people weren't going to be happy with it. So I put it on LinkedIn rather than Twitter, because Twitter's mental, and I wasn't in the mood for an argument, but I thought I'll get some decent discussions on LinkedIn, and maybe some people on LinkedIn will be able to creak my blog mm. and educate me, but in a nice, decent way. Mm. Um, it was on LinkedIn for a couple of weeks, and uh, got some comments, um, some polite, but negative. I don't agree with this, blah, 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 which is absolutely fine. I don't profess to think I know everything. 
and then somebody then copied the link and put it on Twitter and then it went mental mm. um, I had some activist groups saying they were coming to get me um, telling me I'm a racist I'm a Nazi I had one person who at least researched me and said, you've done some good work in the last two decades, so you're compassionate. So therefore, I think you're just a compassionate Nazi, which I felt was one of the nicest terms anyone's ever called me at that period in time. Um, then somebody set up a online petition to have me sacked from the charity I founded and I funded for the first two years. Mm. Um, the, then some other complaints came in um, via email. The board panicked. The board weren't up for a fight. The board were four lovely, decent people um, who don't come from my background, don't come from council estates. I didn't go to university. I grew up on those streets. Mm. I've made the same mistakes and had the same life as the young people I'm trying to help now. Mm. I wasn't always a founder of a charity. I was unemployed for decades. I, you know, I'm lucky I, wasn't, I didn't get caught for some of my actions, otherwise I'd have a long criminal record if I got caught on some of the things I did in my younger days. But luckily I didn't get caught. And the board just weren't up for a fight. They saw the complaints um, and they had a problem and the best way they thought to get rid of the problem was, we just need to sack Nick. And I got an email saying I was dismissed. Simple as that, just an email? Just an email, you're dismissed, immediate what, effect. What was your relationship like with these people before, friendly? Fantastic. One was a friend for 15 years, one's been a friend for nine years, one's been a friend for six years. Um, proper decent people, kind-hearted, heart in the right place, want the best for society, want the best for young people. They can't go from that one day to me criticising them, saying they're evil and they're Marxist the next day. It doesn't work like that. Mm. I put them in a very difficult situation from my blog. I take personal responsibility. I wrote the blog. They found themselves in a situation they weren't prepared for and didn't know how to deal with, and they made a decision themselves. But the thing is, though, it's, you know, I think you, you, you're showing in great charity there. Uh, I would sort of be thinking, why don't you stand by me? I mean, what were their reasons? If, if we didn't have COVID, I don't think this would have happened. Mm. So social distancing, so there was no meetings between me and the mm. board. It was email. Um, if we didn't have COVID, would I have had time to write the blog? Mm. Probably not, because I'm usually a very busy man, mm. but I had plenty of spare time in the day. Um, we all went a bit crazy. This is definitely COVID related. Um, could we have handled it better? Everyone can handle everything better with hindsight. But the thing is, is that, you know, when you said they, they, you'd put them in a position I mean, what, was there anything material that happened as a result of this? I mean, or was it just simply that they just sort of thought, oh, actually, uh, or panicked maybe, or, or whatever, that actually we can't, we can't handle this, uh, the atmosphere is just way too toxic at the moment? Panic. 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 There's people on Twitter who are saying the founder and CEO of our charity is a racist and a Nazi. Mm. They probably didn't believe that was true, but again, I've never spoken to them. Mm. You know, this was done by email. I've never, you know, we've never discussed anything. I'm sure they don't think I'm a racist or a Nazi. They had a problem and they thought the best way of getting rid of the problem was dismissing me. Mm. Um, it was the wrong thing to do. Um, we proved that when I mounted my fight back. Before you did that, I mean, what was, what was it? How did you feel? What was it like? Oh. Uh, 
I mean, you know, I've, I've recently had Lawrence Fox on when he, yes. you know, we all know what happened yes. with the question time. I mean, and there's no question that, uh, you know, he went through the absolute mill, you know, and, and same with Toby Young. Yes. You know, um, we'll talk and about And that's it exactly what happens. Mm. Um, nobody came to my defence. Right. Not one person um, publicly came to my defence. Right. I had emails and phone calls off people telling me I was right. They enjoyed the blog, they think it's right, mm. they're sorry what's happening to me, but I hope you understand Nick, I can't say anything on Twitter or public, because um, they were terrified. And how can I then say to them, why? Because look what's happened to me. Mm. I was dismissed mm. from my own charity. Mm. Mm. So of mm. course they're scared, and, and rightly so. Um, the first week, I can admit I was a beaten man the first week. Yeah. Um, never saw it coming. Not only didn't see it coming, I never thought it could happen to me. Mm. So that's even worse than not seeing it coming. Mm. I've seen what happened to people, you know, who you've mentioned, and I've sat there gone, my board's solid. We've got the same visions of what we want. Anything we see that's wrong, we will criticize, and I always have done. Even, you know, if it's been unpopular, I will say that's wrong for these reasons. Again, I may be wrong, but this is my view. Board's always been there and always said, yep, that's what we're going to do here. But I think the word, it's, the, it's always the word racism. Mm -hmm. The word racism terrifies white people. It just terrifies them. Um, but once you, once you take a step back from this crowd and once they have the scent of blood, they don't stop. It's not like you've apologised now and we're going to take that apology because we're decent people and we're going to now hope you learn. It's yeah. no, no, no. Now you've apologised. We're going to have to you more now because we know you'll back down mm. and one, take one step back and we're going to take another step forward mm. and we'll force you to take another step back until you're two miles mm. down the road and you're going to wonder how I got here and we're going to say to you one step at a time, mate, because you always step backwards when you shouldn't have moved. So I was asked to apologise by the board and I said, no, I'm not apologising um, because I felt I did nothing wrong. So I wasn't going to apologise because I don't want to be two miles down the road and you didn't next year. When you didn't apologise, that, that wasn't something you had to think about. That was your instinct. Instincts. It? Instincts. Mm, I'm not mm, apologising. Mm, mm. When you've grown up on the estates I've grown up on, mm. you, you don't apologise. I apologise if, if I've said something wrong and mm. I'm the first mm. to apologise where it's like... I misunderstood that, I misread that, or now I've got some information, and I will apologise when I know I was wrong. Not to quell the mob, because the mob can't be quelled like that. So, basically there was a period, so you were, you know, feeling pretty beaten, as you say. Yep. And then you started to mount, you know, basically a comeback, didn't you? First week I was a beaten man, I sat at home thinking to myself, what have you done? Mm. What has your big mouth gotten you into this time that you cannot get yourself out for. Everyone's laughing at you. Mm. The people on Twitter think they've won. You've made the whole country slightly worse because they've got another victory now. Um, you've ruined your life. You've got a rep, you know, your reputation's in tatters. Six months before I was awarded an MBE mm. from the Queen. Mm -hmm. And within six months I'm now racist and been sacked. And then a friend phoned me up and said, Nick, why haven't you fought back? You've not answered one thing on social media. It's as if you're guilty. We know you're not guilty, and we agree with what you wrote, but you've not said a word. I went to bed that night thinking, I've, cap I've capitulated. Mm. 
and I woke up, hardly slept that night. Well, I've not been sleeping much anyway, but I slept even worse that night. Woke up at seven o'clock in the morning and went, right, the fight back starts now. Probably won't get my job back, I'm a charity back. But if I can save my reputation, that will stand me in good stead for the future because at the moment, I'm probably unemployable. Um, so I need to get my reputation back. So I started thinking about you no know, pad and pen, right? What can I do? You know, what strategy am I going to use? There was a knock on the door, open the door, and the guy stood there going, Mail on Sunday, can, can we have a chat? And I went, Just a man. Really? Just like that. Come in, have a brew. <laughs> I wasn't that flippant because the first thing was, right, this has taken me a bit by surprise. Yeah. But he came in, we had a brew, we talked about it, and I thought, right, this is perfect timing. So um, they did their article a few days later on Sunday, obviously. And then the whole world changed for me on that Sunday. I had, within hours, I had hundreds of messages, all of all support. Really? By the end of two weeks, I must have had over a thousand messages on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, absolutely every one of them positive from the UK, from France, from America, from Australia, mainly from the UK, telling me that, you know, don't give up, you know, um, that really helped. Because up to that point, the only person telling me what I did was correct was my conscience. Yeah, yeah. Nobody else was yeah. telling me I was right. Nobody else was sticking up for me. And, I th and you do have doubts because we're human. I'm now mm. thinking, am I, did I know, have, have I gone too far? Um, but all of a sudden, thousands of people contacted me. Um, and then I got other press opportunities then. Talk radio were fantastic. Uh, the Critic Mag were great and I'm pumping out my side of the story there. Um, that then was adding more pressure to the board. Uh, it was obvious they didn't like pressure, that's why they terminated me. So I thought, well, if we can put more pressure on them the other way. A former trustee phoned me up and said, um, would I mind if he started a online petition to have me reinstated? But he said, I don't want to do it if you don't want me to. I want to make sure you're happy with this. So I said, yeah, go ahead. That got nearly 18,000 signatures. Really? Where the petition to get me fired got 450. Right. Uh, what's that, 30 to 1, something like yeah, that? Yeah. Um, again, that put a smile on my face, thinking, no, there's something here then. Then, the um, by that point, I joined the Free um, Speech Union. This is Toby Young's Toby Young, Free Speech Union. Yeah. I advise everybody to join the Free Speech yeah. Union. Mm. Even if you don't need them, at least your annual fees are paying to support and help somebody like me. Couldn't agree more. You yeah, know, it's yeah, not about what yeah, you need, it's about yeah. we all need someone to speak yeah. up. They were fantastic. Um, they then got a solicitor involved who looked at my case and looked at all the information and my contract and went, clear case of breach of contract here, yeah. clear case. Uh, we spoke to the board, he spoke to the board, explained where the mistakes were and what they'd done wrong. Uh, they then resigned, well, they then appointed a new board who I approved, they then resigned, I was then reinstated. And that was how long after the original thing? Five weeks, the whole five thing weeks. took five weeks. So relatively quick, actually, I mean. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, but yeah. it felt like nine and a half years to oh, me yeah, at yeah, that yeah, time, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. we talked actually to someone you might know called Henry, Harry Miller, a while ago is the guy who had the police coming round and you know because of a few things he'd written on Twitter. He's an he, ex-copper as well. That's right yes. he is and he ended up taking it to court. Mm. And I think this is what it is isn't it? It's a, for maybe not for you because you know you founded your own company or whatever but a lot of people they would look and say well how do I fight back on this sort of thing? I mean how 
Don't you need money to do it? You need to have lawyers to do it. It's, it's quite intimidating for many people, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think yeah. the one piece of advice I can give people would be, if you've lost everything, you've got nothing else mm. to lose. And that was the mistake they made with me. Mm. They backed me into a corner. They beat me down. They took everything I ever had and thought I was going to stay on the floor. Mm. I had nothing else to lose. Mm. That's why I fought back. Interesting as well, so the things you were writing or wrote about, about Black Lives Matter, are now entirely current and in the mainstream. I wonder, do you remember, there was a moment at which, because if you're kind of steeped in politics, like we are here, you know, we always knew about what they were saying yep. and, their, and their aims. But there was this sort of sudden moment after the Premier League had gone down on one knee and after all of this sort of thing had happened, that basically people looked and said, oh, do, actually, do you know, I think it was the Mail on Sunday, actually, mm. do you know what these people are? And there was this sudden sort of climb down. Mm. Did that happen? Did you sort of think, well, you know, you know, bully for you. I was writing this first, actually. Well, one part of me <laughs> thought, I did that. Yeah. If it oh, wasn't yeah. for my case, mm. and I was joking when I said it to my friends, I was one little cog in that. It took many, many things to educate and inform the public, and my story is one of them. Other mm. stories have all contributed. Mm. The more we got into the press about what Black Lives Matter really stood for, mm. so not the anti-racism message, and not the vast majority of people on the streets, decent people fighting racism. Who doesn't want to end racism? It's a bit like saying, I'm against evil. Yes. Really? Yeah. You're yeah. against evil? Of course we are. Yeah, yeah. But then things started chipping away. You know, Premier League, the FA, um, you know, the BBC, it, things started chipping away and all of a sudden people started looking into it mm. um, and then people were informed. But I speak to people almost on a daily basis who still say to me on a daily basis, oh, I thought Black Lives Matter was just a slogan about mm. anti-racism. And I went, have you still not read anything? Mm. No, I don't really listen to the news. I don't read any papers. So they, they still don't know. But even Keir Starmer was sort of like rowing back, wasn't he? He was starting yeah, to say, oh, well, it's not actually, uh, it's not actually a, a movement, it's a moment. That was a great, or something like that. This was yeah. a moment. Actually, no, you got down on the, you know, yeah. uh, for Black Lives Matter. So, so basically everything is, you're back to normal, would it be right? So, or I reckon your life must have changed in some way now. All my life, my outlook and everything has completely changed. Um, what I've decided is I'm going to, over the next few months, go down to part-time at the charity. Right. Um, I'm gonna spend two, three days a week carrying on the fight because I'm not the sort of person who can be attacked, have a little bit of luck. I got a lot of luck in coming back and then get my life back and then go, it's over for me now, I've, I've got what I want. I let other people suffer now. I let other people have their lives ruined, but I'm okay, Jack, so I'm gonna pull the ladder up. I'm not that sort of person. That's interesting, so actually you're going to, when you say carry on the fight, what does that mean practically? So I'm gonna still carry on talking about it. I'm mm. doing this interview, I'm doing yeah. other interviews. I'm writing a book at the moment. Um, I've started writing some articles for different magazines. I'm going to try to uh, write for some op-eds for papers. I'm going to talk about what we need to improve the lives of young people and how this narrative of victimhood culture is actually damaging the people it mm. says it's mm. trying to help. Mm. Um, I want other people to stand up and speak out. Even if I don't agree with what they're saying, mm. people need to stand up and speak out. Unless we speak to people who have different points of view, how can we test our points of view mm. and find out if they're correct? And everybody I ever speak to, I always learn something new from them, which then 
adds on to what I already know and then starts framing my thinking for the future. And we need more dialogue. There's some great people out there at the moment, uh, especially by some young black people, British black people are doing some fantastic work. Mm. Um, and we need those voices heard and they are being heard and they're, they're talking about their life experience in this country. And I'm just, I'm just sick and tired of people moaning. Mm. And I've, I've had this all my life and it's got, this is not really just to do with Black Lives Matter now, it's just to do with our culture we've developed over the last few decades. Everything is terrible. Everything is always better somewhere else. Someone else, another country is always doing something better than us. Mm. Uh, we're rubbish. And the state treats us terribly and they don't give us enough free stuff. They don't give us enough money. I smoke cannabis all night till three in the morning and nobody will give me a job. Mm. And it's like, it's called personal responsibility. Mm. And the amount of times I've stood on street corners talking to kids and there'll be a black kid there and I'm talking to them. What are you thinking of doing when you leave school college? I want to be a doctor. And I go, right. And I know straight away, your parents are immigrants. Because if your parents were immigrants, they'd have no aspiration for you to be a doctor. Yeah, and they go, yeah, yeah, my mum and dad are Nigerian. It's like, mm. good for them and good for you that you want to be a doctor. Mm. And then we'll speak to some other kids, white kids as well. What do you want to be? You know, what, what, what can we help you with? Oh, nothing. Well, what's your dreams? I haven't got any. Saddest thing you ever heard is a kid telling you he has no dreams. I can even handle them saying, I want to be a premiership football player. And we know they're not going to get that, but at least that's a dream of success and achieving but when they say nothing but isn't this the point i mean you mentioned earlier about victimhood that in fact mm. they have actually imbibed a line which is that it's all sewn up there's no point in doing anything and also for that matter you are by sheer virtue of being who you are a victim isn't yep. that right and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah, yeah, yeah. what's the point of trying when i already mm. know the system set up to make me mm. fail mm. So why try? Mm. That's the reason why I never played football with my friends, because I was rubbish. So therefore, what was the point of playing and being humiliated? So I wouldn't play football. All my friends went on to play, you know, semi-pro and football teams and pubs. Because my mentality, which could be right or wrong, was, what's the point? I'm no good. And if you translate that to the kids we're working with on the streets, if they've been told all the time that they're no good, that they're a failure, that the system is set up for them to fail, and we wonder why they don't try. We wonder why they give up on education. I think a lot of people, certainly people, I would say many people on the hard left, you know, want to keep people victims. I think they almost want to keep that they don't want them to be aspirational or succeed because then that would rather interfere with their narrative about basically this shocking oppressive system we've got. I'll go one step further. I agree with that, one step further. They don't want people to succeed because what are they going to do then? Yeah, yeah, Where are their charity cases? Where's their amateur social work going to go then when they can't start working with the disenfranchised, the poor, you know, the people being held down because they're black, because the people who can't get on in life because they've got a different religion or because they're gay. What are their dinner parties going to be about? What are they going to talk about if they're not saying, this is what I do in my spare time and I went on this march? And we pull down that statue, and because we pull down that statue, 84,000 people in this country now have better lives because that statue came down. I'll be the first one to admit, the statue in Bristol, never even heard of the guy. Mm. Never even heard of the no, man. No one really had, yeah, yeah. And where does their virtue signaling go 
if we start raising everybody up. Mm-hmm. They've, got, they've, they've got a vested interest. You started the charity, didn't you, in 2000 and... 2011. And you've won awards, haven't you? It was, it handful was, of awards, Chavis has won a handful yeah, of awards. Yeah. From the police, from, from local government, from, yeah, from all over. But why did you start it, though? I mean, what, you know, what, why, you know, what made you think I want to start, I want to start helping these people? I'm not saying there's got to be any ulterior motive, I just wonder what what it was. I'd already been doing it, so I'd spent a decade working at Manchester Council. Um, And my job there was, first five years was working with young people, stopping getting involved in crime and antisocial behaviour, working with the parents, trying to give the parents more support. And basically trying to get the young people to understand your actions have consequences. Mm. These will be the consequences. Is this what you want? Because this is what's going to happen. And having frank conversations with them. Very informally, this wasn't police cautions, nothing like that. Um, And then I did another job in the council then, looking at certain areas of the city centre, looking at reducing crime and antisocial behaviour over over a larger scheme. Again, a lot of that was to do with young people as well. Um, and then in 2011, the austerity kicked in. Manchester had huge cuts, like all councils did. I think Manchester's lost something like 60% of its budget. Mm. Um, they made huge cuts, redundancies. I was one of them. Um, again, I didn't blame the council. They had to make huge decisions. And they had a no redundancy policy, so I could have stayed. They offered me a job in elections and a job in healthy eating. And I went, no, thank you. <laughs> I could stay there, yeah. but I'm going to leave in six months' time depressed yeah. Yeah. because these jobs I don't want to do. So rather than be a typical council worker, I take the money and moan. It's like, no, I'll take the money on the table and I'll carry on this work, working with young people, but I'll do it better than what I could here because there'd be no red tape. Yeah. That's why I set up the charity to carry on that sort of work. So two decades I've been involved in this sort of work. When you say you want to carry on the fight on the other yep. stuff, you know, I mean, <clears throat> What often people don't know is that you, your case came to light and, and, and you therefore you got a profile. Mm. Uh, but a lot of people are facing this on a daily basis in their jobs, aren't they? Yes. You know, uh, in the workplace, being reported by colleagues such as that, things like that. Um, I find very chilling, actually, but there we go. I mean, how, how can you, do you want to actually help them to, I mean, it, it, are you going to just be highlighting this or would you welcome people getting in touch with you, for example? People can contact me. I've had several people contact me yeah. to say, this is my story, what can I do? Mm. Um, I've then done introductions then to the uh, Free Speech Union. Yeah. Um, and sometime, and the first conversation I had with the Free Speech Union was the first opportunity I ever had to talk about it. I finally got it off my chest. I felt better just speaking to somebody. Even if nothing would have happened, I felt I just had a weight off my shoulders. I spoke to somebody, Toby Young it was, who'd been through it himself, who understood what I was going through. Um, And that was a weight off my shoulders. So people can contact me on any of my social media. Um, I'll see, you know, I can help them, advise them. I don't mean to try and flood you with... No, no, no. But but the thing is, is that people, they they absolutely do grasp at any possible help because, you know, they feel very alone in these situations, as indeed you were alone. Absolutely. So people can contact me. What I don't want to do is, is... create something and be in competition with the Free Speech Union. I want to support the Free Speech Union. I want to make it easier for people to challenge their employers, 
Um, you know, that's what we had unions for in the first place. Mm. You know, hundreds of years ago, people would go, you're a Roman Catholic, you're not working here, pal. Mm. You know, in the 50s, oh, immigrant from the Caribbean, you're not working here, pal. And you know, we stuck up for people who were voiceless and were vulnerable. And that's what unions did. At the moment, some of the unions I read about seem to be encouraging this. Yes, exactly, I was gonna and say. And it's like, yeah. you know, stick up for your members. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're supposed to live in a free country. I know it's like a cliche now, we're supposed to live in a free country, but we are. Mm. And if your unions don't stick up for you, then maybe it's time you all left that union and joined a union that's prepared to stick up for you. And, you know, freedom of choice, pick a union that will fight for your corner. If they're not going to fight for you, then you might as well give up. Are there any other parts of, you know, British society <clears throat> that your attitude has changed towards, you know? I mean, because a lot of people have been going, reevaluating things. I mean, for example, we've got a university sector now, which is just almost defunct in, yep. in what it's meant to do. And I, and I know that certainly things like Brexit changed my attitude yep. to certain parts. Has anything changed with you or? I think it's highlighted it more. Yeah. Um, you know, universities, I've been looking at universities for, you know, for a decade and thinking, what are they doing? What mm. are they teaching? But always I was thinking, it's all, it's all useless degrees they're studying. Mm. You know, it's women dance theory and, you know, African studies. It, it's, the, it's the useless ones where people come out and 50 grand's worth of debt and go, I can't get a job. Mm. It's like, well, I'm not surprised. You wasted three, four years of your life. Now you're in debt. And you're, yes, you're going yeah. to pay for it hugely. Exactly. Yeah, but now yeah. I believe, and what I've read, it, it's not just those studies now, it's, it's whole institutions. Mm. And then, you know, I worked for the council for 10 years. And I'm not saying it's as bad as that, but, you know, it's getting there in, you know, the councils I, I worked for. Um, I remember once being pulled by somebody for saying to my team, which were men and women, Guys, that was a great piece of work, that. Congratulations. Oh, no, we, we smashed whatever we were doing. It yeah. was fantastic. Thank you. And I got pulled to one side saying, very informally, because it wasn't as bad then. This is like 15 years ago. I'm not too sure about, you know, there was women then. You called them all guys. Oh, dear. And it was like, yeah. well, yeah, yeah, because that's how I interpret that word. It was my team I was mm. praising. Mm. So, there were, you know, you had that sort of thing there. The amount of meetings... Over the last five, six, seven years, I've sat in with other partners and, you know, the council, other councils and other charities and groups. And I'm sat there going, what are you talking about? It's just extremely woke, mm. um, touchy-feely. And it's like, oh, have any of us got a clue? And, and I'm sat there thinking, this is why we're not solving any of society's problems, because none of us know how to solve problems. You sat here moaning and talking about this theory and that theory and none of actually do any work. But this is one of the problems with, you know, the institutions generally is that when they, they start to define themselves mm. on the basis of a political objective, I, we're about, say, diversity and inclusion or we're about X, Y, Z. Um, but in fact, you find that actually they are quite incompetent when it comes to running the thing. Mm. You know, the whole... They don't actually even understand the function of yep. what they're meant to be doing. Um, would you say you've become more politically aware since this? I mean, you sound like yeah. you were pretty politically aware anyway. Yeah. I mean, to, you, you wrote about Black Lives Matter, so, but you have become more, have you? Oh, absolutely. I, th I think, I, I don't think I couldn't have come more politically mm. aware mm. through what happened to me in reading and writing and listening. Mm. So, so absolutely. 
Um, and it was when I was, because of that, I've started looking back at different situations because I'm writing a book as well. So I'm trying to find right. things for the book. And I started putting things on Twitter as a sounding board to see what people think, what people say. Um, and it's making me evaluate not only my own personal life and how I got to where I am and how I've overcome challenges. Um, again, I don't have an easy life at all, but I've never talked about it. I mentioned it because for me it was irrelevant. But now I'm thinking about things going, oh yeah, I overcame that. I overcame, you know, mm. held up at gunpoint. I've got 19 stitches in my head. Really? Uh, you know, I've been racially abused. Um, you know, I'm, you know, when I look at all these things, it was like you know, I had lots of challenges to overcome. When, when you say about the 19 stitches in your head, what, what, when were you held up then? Um, was that as a result of being held up? No, that was a, a different. Oh, right, that was right, when right. I hit over the head with an iron bar. So I wrote a, a blog. Oh. I, wrote, I wrote a post a couple of weeks ago, trying to show people that if you're a victim of something, and the other person is a different race from you, doesn't make it racially motivated. Mm. So as a young man in this U in the UK, I'm more likely, well, I'm not a young man anymore, when I was a young man, I'm more likely to be involved in, vi in, in violence because I'm a young man. That stats tell you that. So I gave a couple of examples of being 11, walking home from school, being be beaten to a post by four, five, 15 year old black lads. I think it was more racially motivated. Mm. 20 years old, working in a shop, a big row of shops, only white person working in the whole of the row of shops held up twice at gunpoint, racially motivated by two black men. No, it wasn't. Mm -mm. They were robbing the shop. Mm. Attacked by eight Asian men with metal bars. I got 19 stitches in my head. Racially motivated. No, it wasn't. Wrong place, wrong time. So I could twist all that mm. and say, oh, mm -mm. immigrants and children immigrants are ruthless in this country. Look mm. what they're doing. No, mm. as a male, I'm more likely to be involved in violence mm. and be a victim of violence. So when we frame things all the time as race, I remember in the 80s being turned away from gay clubs in Manchester. And the reason was, you don't look gay. Right. So all this, you know, so I've, yeah. I've had all these things against yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it doesn't make it, you know, you're a victim, you know, you overcome these things. Mm. So, and that's sort of conversations we try to have with young people about, just because bad things happen, I start off by saying, life's unfair, mate. Mm. Don't ever think life's fair. Bad things happen to good people all the time. But the thing is, I think in a way, what you've just described there, actually, is at the very is what's at the root of this explosion of identity politics. Yes. Actually, is taking various things that happen in life and seeing them retrospectively through an entirely different lens, seeing oh, that's <clears> because I was gay, black, woman, or whatever. Um, and then just sort of almost it gives you a great explanation, doesn't it, for your life in a way? Well, it then tells you that you being a failure or not being mm. the success you think you should mm. be wasn't your fault. There's evil forces out there that stopped you being mm. the success you think you deserve. And a lot of people on the far left who I've spoken to, that's what comes across. They feel their life isn't as successful as it should have been and it must have been someone else's fault. Because mm. it couldn't have been my fault because I'm amazing. Mm. <laughs> so it can't be my fault. <laughs> yeah. So it must be yeah. someone else's fault. <laughs> yeah. Where I grew up on in an area where it was our fault. Mm. Because if you tried to play the victim where I was growing up, you'd have got battered even more. Mm. So you had to make choices 
and take personal responsibility. Um, and that is a lesson that we try to give young people. It's about personal responsibility. And you know, the amount of times I've said to young people, if I see you in five years time and you pull up in a nice convertible car and you've got a wife and kid in the car and you say, Nick, come over here. I want you to meet my missus and my kid and all that. And I say to them, who takes responsibility for that? And they go, well, I don't know. You take responsibility for that because you made good choices. But on the other hand, in five years time, if I walk around the corner and you're, you're up against the wall by two burly police officers being arrested and putting handcuffs on you and you've got a big bag of cocaine in your pocket, who takes responsibility for that? Mm. And they always go, me. Yeah. So they get, they get it. Yes. They do get it. Well, very inspiring story. I mean, first of all, I want to say Nick's charity is called The Mancunian Way. So do look at it. It's this fantastic work that you you do. So what we should really basically say is that we should look forward to seeing you on in the media, writing articles and talking about this a hell of a lot more in the future. Yep. And if people want to get hold of me, yep. find me on social media, okay. Nick Buckley, MBE, all one word. All right. Well, the, you said it, so not me. So I'm not, you know, if yes. there's a deluge, it was you. <laughs> Nick, thank you very, very much for coming and talking to us about it today. Thank you very much. You're and welcome. congratulations. Uh, that's it this week for uh, So What You're Saying Is. Um, I do hope you join us next week. In the meantime, I just want to remind you of our campaign to save our statues. Uh, do please subscribe to it, won't you? We've had hundreds of people uh, coming on to that. I'm so pleased. We're very encouraged by that support. Uh, so do subscribe and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much.